Hey, y'all. This is episode 137 of Reclaiming the Faith. Today, my wife and I get into Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 as we continue our series in that amazing book. Just want to give you all an update on a few things. Number one, I released official audio for track 13 on my album, Dusk and Dawn. The song is called Goodbyes. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, at my YouTube channel. And um, so I'll put a link for that in the description if you want to see or listen rather to that song. Go check it out. Also, we just finished mixing and mastering another track for the album. This one's called James. And I want to give you a short preview of that right now. Yeah, that song, it features Dan and Cindy Salato from the Omega Frequency family. So please be praying for the last two songs as we get those mixed and mastered in the next few weeks. I'm blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency along with BDK, and you can find our content on our YouTube channel, Omega Frequency Live. So go check that out. And if you want to find any of my resources, go ahead and go to philsbaker.com, philsbaker.com. Lastly, I would really be blessed if you would leave a rating and review on my Apple podcast channel, uh, Reclaiming the Faith, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. That'd be a big blessing. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's get into episode 137. One of my favorite passages in the Gospel of Mark comes in Mark chapter 9, and this is after the transfiguration when Jesus, Peter, James, and John come down the mountain, and they find this commotion going on where the other uh, disciples had been trying to cast a demon out um, out of a boy, but they couldn't do it, and some of the Pharisees are there mocking the disciples, and... um, So Jesus says, what's going on? And uh, so the boy, the boy's father rather, begins to tell Jesus what's going on. So I just want to pick that up real quick in verse 22 of Mark 9. It says, uh, the boy's father says, look, this demon has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, 
all things are possible to him who believes. And verse 24, immediately the the boy's father, not the bother's foy. (laughs) I almost said that. That was crazy. Some dyslexia right off the top. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, but help my unbelief or help me overcome my unbelief. And um, I love that prayer of honesty, um, that prayer of sincerity, uh, because he acknowledges that he does have he does have belief in God, but he also acknowledges that he also has un- unbelief competing with that. And for me, when when I see that, hey, Jennifer, good to see you. I can really identify with that because I, I love God, but not the way I should. And, um, but it's not just love. Uh, sorry, it's, yeah, it's not just belief, but it's love as well. I, I believe in God, but not as much as I should. I love God, but not as much as I should. And um, no matter where we are in this life, um, I think that's something that we need to pray for God to help any kind of unbelief that we have going on and also for God to help us grow in love as well. And Paul knew this for sure. And that's kind of what he prays about here in Philippians chapter one, starting in verse nine. So I'm going to read our passage for today and then we'll start diving in. If you got a Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter one and we're going to start in verse nine. I'll uh, share my screen and then we can all see it. Well, we won't do that screen. We'll do something a little bit bigger. This one? Yeah, Yeah, awesome. All right. Thanks, Stephanie, for your help. (laughs) I'm technologically challenged. Yeah, absolutely. So here we go. He says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Now, Paul addressed earlier in Philippians, in verse 3, that he is praying for them constantly. Read a little bit of that for you. And um, then we'll kind of get into what this prayer was. He says in verse three of Philippians one, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And this, I pray that your love may abound still more and more. So he told them that he's praying for them at the beginning of Philippians, and now he tells them what he's praying for them. Paul says that he's praying first that their love may abound still more and more. Now, the word that he uses there in uh, in verse 9 for love is agape. Now, that's the noun form of agape. And I know you hear, I'm sure you've heard it, Uh, said that agape is uh, self-sacrificial love. There's more to it than that though. All right. There's more to it than that. Uh, As you see, I'm like, I'm highlighting here for you the the Strong's definition, right? That agape uh, is love which centers on moral preference. Um, It typically refers to divine love, what God prefers. And you can see a lot more of that definition in the verb form of agape, which is agapao, 
right here. Agapao, which is the verb form of, of agape. And what this means, it's really interesting when you're getting into this, to prefer, to love for the believer, preferring to live through Christ. And this, man, this blew me away a couple of years ago when I saw this or a few years ago. It says, embracing God's will, basically choosing his choices and obeying them through his power. Choosing God's choices by his power or through his power. Have you ever thought about love like that? Have I ever thought of love as choosing God's choices and obeying them through his power? Yeah. I mean, that kind of goes along with the idea that if you, you know, Jesus tells you, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's not, that's not our idea of like a romantic kind of love or even what we expect of our friends. We don't expect our friends to obey us, Mm. but it's obviously a very different um, relationship between us and God because it's not, it's not even like a parent to a child. It's so much higher understanding. And so, you know, yeah, if we really love him, then we understand his authority and his rule and his, um, his omniscience, his understanding of all things. So why wouldn't we do what he wanted for Mm. us? It would only be if we didn't love God or, you know, I'm not saying if you sin, you don't love God, but you know what I mean? Like it would be a a decision against God. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of hinted on the verse, the passage that I wanted to take us to that really demonstrates a great, um, in great clarity, agapao. And this is in John 14, starting in verse 15, where Jesus says, if you agapao me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So that's the first part of choosing God's choices. And then you see by his power. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So for me, that's a really great um, picture of choosing God's choices by his power. And uh, it's not really something that we think about when we hear all God wants for you to do is love him and love people. Well, you know, it's simple. Well, it's not so simple to do if it is, if it was, we wouldn't sin to really choose God's power or God's choices and really rely on his power. Um, it's a very high calling. And so I wanted to show the first time that agapao, the verb form of agape, is mentioned in the New Testament. And sure enough, it's in a passage that is very difficult, very easy to understand and very difficult to live out. This is starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. It's Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall agapao your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, who would say that? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I believe one of the verses in Psalm 139 says, don't I hate those who hate you? And so evidently some people in first century, like second temple Judaism are extrapolating from that, that it's okay to hate people who hate God 
or who we believe hate God. Therefore, yes, we need to love our neighbor, but we also should hate our enemies who would be the enemies of God. And of course, that's some classic Phariseeism, um, twisting scripture or bending scripture so that we don't have to obey what God says. But um, so Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say to you, agapao, your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to, shine, to, son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, it's really interesting when he says, you may be sons of your father in heaven if you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's mentioned uh, several verses earlier in Matthew 5. Do you remember the beatitude? It says, blessed are the blank for they will be called sons of God. Um, Sorry to put you on the spot. Yeah. But it's... Um, Is it the... Merciful? Well, it's no, no. <laughs> it's very akin to being merciful in one sense. Yeah. It's blessed are the peacemakers. Oh. But yeah, I mean, you're right on this, this aspect yeah. of like mercy. Yeah, like showing mercy to, to those that hate you yeah. and persecute you. But it's interesting that, that Jesus correlates being a peacemaker with loving your enemies. Yeah. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to shine on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you agapao those who agapao you, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers who are more, who are, sorry, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Um, with Agapao being choosing God's choices by his power, God is the best leader. He's the ultimate leader, right? Jesus is the ultimate leader because he never asks us to do something that he hasn't done first. And in this passage in Matthew 5, we see God's telling us to love, his en- to love our enemies because he loves his enemies. So loving our enemies is choosing God's choices. Yeah, I don't like that. That's hard. It is really hard and I don't like it always either, but I'm really yeah. glad that God loves his enemies, aren't you? Yeah, and I want my enemies to love me, you know, to show that kind of kindness. So, yeah, I ha- I mean, I it's that's yeah, just really tough to actually live out. Very simple as far as command-wise, but very tough to live out. Absolutely. And and one of the uh one of the really neat aspects of this word perfect here, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It doesn't mean like never making a mistake. That's not what it's hitting at. Um, perfect there is a derivative. Let me bring this back. Perfect is a derivative of this Greek word telos, which the picture of that, if you can think back to like uh, Captain Jack Sparrow or something, you know, some kind of pirate movie okay. where they have uh, a... a Telescope, basically an old school telescope where it like extends mm-hmm. ring by ring, like extended all the way out. That's telos, kind of where we get the word telescope from. And so it means to be fully ex- extended all the way out. F- 
fully mature and complete. That's the idea. And so um, to be fully mature in God's eyes is to be perfect like God is. Well, Jesus um, demonstrated his love for us by loving us on the cross, right? Dying for his enemies, dying for sinners like us. So that's kind of where it's getting at with the Isn't perfect, that that just in case. Is that the same kind of thing? Same, same root. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. It's finished. It's accomplished. It's been brought to full maturity. You see the, uh, you see the full extent of his love there, mm-hmm. in one sense, and he had fulfilled all uh, of the commandments. We're we're quoting John nineteen right now, like right before he says it's finished. He says Jesus, uh, knowing all things. Um, had been fulfilled uh, and all things had been accomplished in order to fulfill scripture said, I'm thirsty. That's some John 19 stuff. Uh, I hope I didn't misquote that too bad, but uh, yeah, same, same root word um, as perfect is uh, mature or finished, complete, all of that stuff. All right. So Paul prays that our love would abound more and more. Well, we really need love to abound more and more, right? I mean, because I sometimes love my enemies. Sometimes. So I, I, I probably <laughs> yeah. need more of God's love flowing through yeah. me, you know, or being allowed to have full reign in my life. I need my love. Not I don't need to just love God. I need to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't need to just love my neighbors, but I need to love my neighbors as myself, right? And so I need my love to abound more and more. Stephanie's saying, yes, amen, you, you do. Well, I mean, <laughs> we all do with each other, right? I mean, yeah. if we're always trying to outdo one another in love, then, oh. yeah, I don't know where that's from, though. That was great. What's that verse? Do I you don't know? remember. Okay, if we're always, <laughs> I certainly don't know. Uh, if we're always trying to outdo one another in love, then we're going to definitely have all of our needs met. And we're going to create the kind of world that is what, you know, what we want to be a part of mm. and bring the kingdom of earth, our kingdom of heaven to earth. Yeah. Andrew just said, it took me 30 plus years to finally realize that loving my enemies was actually good for me. Amen, man. Mm. Amen. Yeah. AJ says, um, we were God's enemies while he loved us. Amen to that, man. Yeah. That's great. That's great, dude. Thanks for y'all contributing and and sharing. Yeah. Uh, that's what makes this Bible study the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. When we're all kind of working together and letting the Spirit move us. Uh, Jen says, yes, I've had a hard time with it and sometimes still struggle with loving the way I should. Yep. Amen. And uh, that honesty is that makes room for God to really move in our life like that. Dad who yeah. said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. And I think the more that you grow in your relationship with with Christ, you start to like I, like I thought my sin was really bad. It was like here, and then I'm starting to realize like I'm actually a lot deeper than that. But thankfully, God doesn't reveal all of that to us at once. It's a little bit at a time, and I think the same is true with loving our enemies. Like maybe we think we don't really have that many enemies because like I've never been in a fight like a like a fist fight brawl kind of thing where I know a lot of people have. Um, so I might think I don't have a lot of enemies, but um, there are definitely people that have hurt me 
deeply, but I think if they're not in my life, then I, I'm not dealing with them and I'm not loving them actively. Loving them is a, it's an active thing. It's not just a withdrawing of active hatred toward them. It's, you know, being Jesus toward them, acting like that. So I don't know, we have to, God's slowly revealing a lot of that to each one of us, I think. Yeah, and I don't mean to make this all about the Sermon on the Mount stuff, but um, that term peacemaker earlier in Matthew 5, I think it may be verse 8, um, blessed are the peacemakers for they're the sons, they'll be called the sons of God. That word peacemaker means to boldly declare God's terms, which will bring someone peace or bring someone wholeness with them. And if you look throughout the Bible, one of the main words that you'll see over and over by someone who's calling others to who's declaring God's terms that will bring them peace, that word is repent. And so if we're calling people to repent, um, you're going to naturally make some enemies. Yeah. Even if you're not like trying to pick a fight, if you're just calling people oh, no. to repent, they're going to hate you. For sure. Yeah. All right. So Paul prays for their love to abound more and more, which is um, something we, we should be praying, you know, for ourselves and for those around us. So periseu, um, it's pretty close to a good pronunciation. <laughs> periseu, periseu, yeah. Peri means all around, which indicates an abundance or surplus. And what this means is to exceed or go beyond um, the expected measure. That is, to me, that's powerful. Um, is that like, you know, where Jesus says, you know, if you're walk one, they ask you to walk one mile, you walk another mile or, you know, not just, you know, turning the other cheek, that kind of thing. Is that going surpassing? Is that what it's referring to? I think, I think that's great. And I think you could make a tie in back to the Sermon on the Mount too, where he's talking about loving your, don't just love those who love you. That's what the nations do. Mm -hmm. It's expected that you love people that love yeah. you, but he says, go beyond that. And um, that's really difficult to surpass that. Here's some more law of first mention, okay? The first time we see periseu in the New Testament is Matthew 5. Okay. In verse 20, where Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses periseu, that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness abounds more and more, like beyond, more beyond. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> more, more extra. I yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And you look at, we're going to get into that term righteousness in a minute, but it's just kind of interesting. I'll keep going. All right. So verse nine, and this, I pray that your love may abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Let's get into this word knowledge, real knowledge and all discernment. This is not like Gnosticism stuff. This is, that's fake knowledge. Jesus is talking about real knowledge. This is epigenosis, epigenosis, and it's knowledge gained through firsthand relationship, contra, contact knowledge, all right? Experiential knowledge, contact knowledge. I, it makes me think right off the bat of First uh, John 1, where he's like, we're writing to you the one that, you know, we saw and heard and we touched. 
Because in First John, he's coming against so much Gnosticism there. And he's like, no, we really, we have firsthand knowledge. Like he didn't just appear to be human. Like the Docetists say, he really was. We have firsthand knowledge of him. Like Paul wants their love to abound more and more in real experiential knowledge of God. What are some ways that we can grow in experiential knowledge of Jesus? We may not be able to like physically touch him like the earliest apostles did. And I'm sorry for shaking the screen like that. Um, I need to get a better table. But, um, but what are some ways that we can grow in real knowledge of God? Something to think about. Paul, this is a, um, a prayer that Paul prays about a, a couple of times in Ephesians. All right, so here's Ephesians 1. Uh, starting in verse 15. Let me put it up on the screen. This is Ephesians 1 right here. All right, Paul says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you. Kind of sounds like the beginning of Philippians. While making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. You know, getting to know Jesus completely changed Paul's life. It completely changed Paul's perspective. And he wants that for us too, that we too would have this real knowledge of Jesus, a real revelation and knowledge of Jesus. Man, I want that. Here's another passage in um, in Ephesians. This is in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul is praying, uh, or Paul is talking about this idea of real knowledge. Uh, speaking of the fivefold ministry, as many call it, uh, in Ephesians 4, Paul writes, and he, Jesus, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a, here comes that telos root, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We're getting that real knowledge of him that we're going to grow to become more and more like him. So, uh, so Paul prays that we'd have real knowledge and all discernment, all discern, discernment. This word is uh, really neat. It's talking about cutting through the haze, the haze, the ethical haze, really being able to size things up. And what's interesting is that in order to really discern the truth of something, to be able to cut through the good in order to see the best, or sometimes to cut through the lies to get to the truth, in order to do that, you really have to know the standard of something to have good discernment. And so maybe that's why Paul is praying for them to have real knowledge of Jesus in order to cut through the false Jesuses to have real knowledge of the gospel in order to cut through the haze of the false gospels. That word, um, or this idea of cutting through the haze, this real discernment, uh, Paul hits at pretty 
pretty uh, pretty well in what's believed to be his last letter. This is 2 Timothy. And so he's giving some exhortation, some instruction and encouragement to his son in the faith, Timothy. Um, and this is what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 13. He says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard them through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. All right, the standard of sound words in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the standard of love. He's what it looks like. And so we really got to know what he said, what he did in order to really understand that standard. So like, I know a lot of people like the WWJD bracelets, what would Jesus do? But if we have a false picture of Jesus, then we're going to have a false understanding of what he calls us to do or what he would do in any situation. And so we need to really know the gospels and have the experiential knowledge of Jesus that's not going to violate anything in the gospels. So we know what did Jesus do, basically. W-D-J-D. What did Jesus do, not just what would he do? All right. You got anything? No, I just think that the more that you understand, yeah, what he did, the more that you can, I don't know, I feel like we live in a time where there is, like anybody that has an idea about anything can put it out there. Kind of like I'm doing. Kind of like you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Completely unchecked. <laughs> no, um, but there is a lot of bad theology and there's a lot of like putting our own self into scripture um, and not in like a, and not in an understanding it way and a, I'm going to alter it to make it what I want it. And so the more that we truly understand who Jesus was and what he taught. And we study the Bible ourselves, the less that we're going to pick a book up off the shelf and think, well, that sounds like good theology. That sounds like, so I like the way that makes me feel. Mm. Um, sometimes if you, if, I don't know, I feel like if you, if you read something like that and you're like, oh, I've never heard that before. I like the way that makes me feel. Maybe you should investigate that a little bit further. There's a Christian author that wrote, um, you know, God made us in his image and we turned around and returned the favor. Mm. So I think a lot of times we do that. So like you're saying, you need, the more we understand, the more that we're able to test it against other things. Yeah. Hey, Froggy. Yeah, as Andrew said, we are all glad that you're here. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah. And Andrew, thanks for sending her scripture, man. That's awesome, buddy. That's awesome. All right. So jumping back into Philippians 1. We're going to get into verse 10 now, but we need the context of nine. So again, Paul says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. Why? So that you may approve the things that are excellent. And so that initially, when I first saw that, I was like, man, I, I think I probably approve a lot of things that are less than excellent. Maybe I wouldn't approve them if you asked me, is this okay or is that not is that okay? But maybe in my lifestyle, I'm I'm approving for them, kind of like a vote. Yeah. Um, so like what are some things that we approve that are less than excellent? That we like Christians are often guilty of approving 
that are not excellent. No, Just, I think there's a lot of things like that are culturally okay as far as not really loving our enemies um, and, you know, being about like caring, you know, valuing the lives of Americans, maybe. I don't know that who all listening, but like in America, we value the lives of Americans a lot more than we value the lives of others. And so it's like socially okay to do that. We need to look out for each other, which is important. But I think that that's not what Jesus said. I mean, Jesus was all about the strangers, you know, the people that we don't know and caring for them and not valuing others above them. Anyway, close that, clothes that are whack. We agree, Froggy. Uh, and I'm sure my wife sees a lot of clothes that are whack in my closet. And she's like, this, this is so old. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I did your laundry the other day and I realized you have an entire drawer full of cargo shorts. So... Um, They've got so many pockets. So you never know when you're going to need those pockets. They're very resourceful. Yeah. Or like when I have uh, clothes that are beige, shirts that are beige. There was one shirt. I asked him not to wear it again. That was one of my favorite shirts. It was too close to his skin color. It looked like he was naked. Yeah, well, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe not really. It was just a little too It was horrible. (laughs) Eventually, I saw the light and I got rid of it. And it's probably now being worn by someone very proudly who is much tanner than me. Somebody with a little bit more contrast. Yeah, who's not so pigmently challenged as I am. Uh, We all have our strengths and weaknesses. Anyways, getting back into uh, approving what is excellent. Uh, So this word approve. Froggy was talking about clothes that show off too much stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. that too. That's also, okay, I, I misunderstood the... That's why I have cargo crazy. pants because they don't show off. They don't show they hide. anything. They they camouflage every bit That's of right. your shape. <laughs> yeah. So uh, approve. This word is really neat. Uh, dokimatsu. Dokimatsu. That's pretty fun. Uh, properly. This is such a cool. It gave me such a like neat little vision uh, of of this word when I saw it. Um, to test or to try to show something is acceptable, real or proof. To put to the test. To reveal what is good or genuine. That's so, so neat. To put to test, to approve, uh, to prove something is sincere or genuine. First time that is used in the New Testament uh, is in Romans 12, um, verses 1 and 2. Sorry, verses 2. Verse 2. But we're going to read verses 1 and 2. And this is really neat because in this passage, Paul hits on so, so much uh, Sermon on the Mount stuff at chapter 12. But let's first read verses 1 and 2. All right. So here's Romans 12, 1. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Here, I'll put it up on the screen. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove, dokimatsu, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It's interesting. He's talking about how our mind needs to be renewed so that we can approve what is excellent because the natural mind 
hates the things of God. Yeah. Our natural mind, I need to take off the Euro comment. I'm leaving that on a long time. <laughs> now everybody wants a Euro, Tina. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's cool. Um, our natural mind uh, sees the things of God uh, as less than excellent, for sure. We often see Jesus as a threat. Yeah. God is an enemy, mm-hmm. whereas we are the enemy. We are the threat to his kingdom. Uh, in, in the Bible study um, that I was doing with mentor Phil Patillo, like Phil was bringing out how uh, we were, we're in Romans chapter six, and he was talking about presenting our, the members of our body as instruments of righteousness. And man, he brought up this really neat point that that word instruments is most often translated as weapon. Weapon, right? So like, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 10, when it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are divinely powerful to to demolish strongholds, right? Um, Our bodies are weapons. Right. And we, before coming to Christ, are like fighting against God with our hands, with our mouths, with our eyes, with our brains. We are actively opposing the gospel. And so Paul's calling us to present our bodies to God to be a weapon of righteousness. But our minds need to be transformed to even be able to start seeing things that way. Right. I mean, it's, it's because there's a rebirth, right? I mean, this is right. a, a totally transformed mind. But I think that that's, that's the whole idea. I mean, if we try to just make these few little changes and tra- and follow Jesus, it's going to blow up in our faces. Like Mm. it's going to create this inner like conflict or we're going to not resemble Jesus at all. Yeah. So that's really good. All right. So what are some of the things that Paul says are good and acceptable and perfect? The excellent things continuing in Romans chapter 12. And, and as we look at some of these things that are excellent and um, good and perfect, I want you to think, what are some of these commands that you find hard to do? You find them difficult. You find them hard. All right? Ready? I'm going to start in verse 9 of Romans 12, and we're going to read some of these. And just tell me what you find hard or difficult. All right? Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy, without a mask, without being duplicitous. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Being devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. And do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. I mean, you can see a lot of Philippians 2, Christ, Him stuff in here. In addition to Sermon on the Mount. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. 
Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people, with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I mean, so much of that for me is just really difficult. It's really challenging. Uh, Tina says, I'm sorry, what? Tina and Robert said the same one. The same one, blessing those that persecute us. Yeah, that's a, amen, me too. I mean, it is, it's so challenging. And I have a particularly hard time um, like forgiving those that hurt my friends. I have a, like, that's, that's an area where I'll like hold grudges. Yeah. Um, Like I may not throw a punch protecting myself, but I will like go after folks that hurt my family and friends. And um, it's not, it's not Christ-like and I really need to work on that. Um, What about you? I mean, that's, is that your one that you felt like from the list stood out to you? Blessing those who persecute me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll pray for them, Oh yeah, but it's hard for me to really persevere in that Mm -hmm. um, to the point where it's changing my thoughts to continue to have that uh, merciful outlook and loving outlook toward them that Jesus does. What are those kind of prayers called where you're like... Imprecatory prayers? I, I was, was going to guess the right word. Okay. Good job. That's what... <laughs> yeah, we're like smite them <laughs> down, God, in their wickedness. So it would be um, yeah. like in a Jeopardy sense. Prayers that smite the wicked. What are... What are imprecatory prayers? For 800. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get to name the amount after. No, you don't. We've been watching Jeopardy quite a bit lately. Some reruns. And uh, Stephanie destroys me. <sighs> Depends on the category. Yeah. But um, I think from that list, uh, yeah, obviously, it's hard for anybody when you're cursed. Um, but I think also, um, yeah, I think that the going beyond that, blessing them, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. I mean, I've seen times where people that have hurt me have been in need. And um, there's a little tiny part of me that's like, Maybe you shouldn't have been so terrible to me <laughs> <laughs> as if I have any control over that. But um, yeah, that's that's something that like, but when I see that in myself, it's pretty obvious. It's it's something I need to like, like it, it's like I feel that and then I'm like, oh, I'm a jerk. Yeah. I need to repent. And I mean, it, God's word is so good at making you making you realize those areas that you thought you were okay. Because, I mean, we don't, we all have friends that are like, yeah, it's okay to be mad at them. Yeah, they hurt you, whatever. And they'll encourage that. But that's not at all what scripture says. And that's hard. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we're really good at is creating traditions that keep us from feeling guilty about not obeying these kind of commands. We surround ourselves with yes men and yes women, with people that... um Try to help us not feel that that little feeling guilty. Yeah, you right. know, like 
you don't need to repent for that. They're justified. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. I had a good comment there. Let me see. Scroll down a little bit. Uh, I don't think it's come through yet. Mine's on a delay. Okay. Sorry. Tina's oh, comments. oh, oh. Okay. If they aren't in the inner circle? Yeah. One? Yeah. If they aren't in my inner circle, then it's a lot easier. But when they've been intimately involved and used my innermost things as a weapon against me, then I have the greatest difficulty. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's because... Like if somebody doesn't truly know us, then they said there's the saying something about us shouldn't hurt. It doesn't hurt the same way as somebody that, you know, you're supposed to know me. You're supposed to understand who I am. That's, yeah, that's that's a deep hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so getting continuing with uh, with Paul uh, in Philippians one ten. We need to abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that we approve, approve the things that are excellent in order. Why? So why should we be able to approve the things that are excellent that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ? This word sincere, I love this, this word. So sincere is this Strong's uh, 1506. It means something proven. Oh, this is so neat. Something proven because it's been well examined. It's been totally scrutinized, therefore certified as sincere or inwardly pure. And so it's something that is completely clear, free from hypocrisy, which stands in the full light of God's approval. And what hit me is think about like a jeweler. I remember going to a jeweler to buy Stephanie's ring. So imagine a jeweler looking at a diamond and inspecting it thoroughly and saying, this diamond is perfect. It's a perfect diamond. Like that's, that's what Paul is praying for the Philippians, for them to be able to be inspected by God and be declared like blameless, to be inspected and to be found pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, this blameless idea is not an imputed blamelessness, um, not an imputed righteousness like we would get from Jesus. This is a little bit different. This has to do um, not so much with his behavior, but with our behavior in this particular instance. This is not necessarily a... um, a salvation issue. I don't, I don't think, you know, it's not, your, your actions aren't going to get you, uh, hey, Jewel, uh, your actions aren't going to get you uh, right with God. Those can't justify you at all. But once being justified by Jesus, we should live um, blameless lives. We should try to reflect his glory as purely as possible right. without um, marring that image so that more people can be draw drawn in. Um, like uh, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before all men so that they may see these, uh, these righteous actions, basically, and glorify your Father in heaven. We need to be letting that light shine purely through us. Uh, to be blameless until the day of Christ. All right. Um, I'm just going to scroll forward. We're, we're getting a little bit late on time. So I'm going to jump forward to verse 11. All right. Uh, 
So you would be sincere and blameless until the until the day of Christ Jesus, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All right, so this word uh, filled is pleru uh, from pleres, to be full. Um, and it means to fill to full capacity, right? Just to fill it up all the way. Filled full. So filled with the fruit of righteousness. Dikayusune. Uh, righteousness is basically divine approval. It's what God approves, what is right in his eyes, what's right in the eyes of the Lord. So we need to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. And this passage, John 15, so clearly demonstrates this, uh, this process, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, being filled with the fruit of what God deems right to his glory. So we have to depend on him in order to produce this fruit. Fruit comes from a tree or a vine. And that's what Jesus gets at. Do you have something you wanted to? Okay. So this is John 15. Jesus says to his disciples on his last night, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me and I also loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. All right, so it's pretty neat. You know, Paul prays that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. So. And he wants us to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. This is not imputed um, blamelessness or righteousness, but it is a righteousness that can only be um, lived out by us depending on Christ, really remaining with him, seeing him as our source, not trying to do this on our own or through any like um, effort, like human effort though we are called to, by faith, really seek him and abide in him so that that fruit of doing what he uh, 
deems right and good will be manifest in our life. And what he deems right and good is spelled out so clearly in John 15, 12. This is my command that you love one another just as I have loved you. So if Jesus is the vine and we're, you know, these branches, the fruit that we should produce from a Jesus tree should be what? Right? Like an apple tree will produce apples. So a Jesus tree should produce what? I I mean, like we're going to look like Jesus. We're going to make disciples. We're going to be filled with the spirit. Yeah. The fruits of the, the fruit of the spirit. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're quoting the Galatians five passage of um, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, joy, peace, peace, patience, patience, kindness, goodness, 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 faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness, and and self-control. Good job. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, Kathy says a Christ-like spirit. Um, Absolutely. Joel was saying how this is, she thinks of this when she prunes trees. Yeah, yeah. In our orchards, we have to prune and cut away so the fruit can be bigger, sweeter, and stronger. Amen. And, you know, this is hard work, but it's really important work. Yeah. Yeah. It comes, it, we, we need to be um, letting Jesus do this work in us so that more men and women and children can glorify God. So let me just kind of start bringing it to a close here. We bring, here's like a summary statement. We bring glory and praise to God by participating in the gospel. And we accomplish this by choosing God's choices by his power. I don't know. Can you, can you put that up on the, like in the comments maybe, Steph? Yeah. What is that whole summary? Yeah, this is like, if you could take home like one sentence from Philippians 1, this is like God's or Paul's prayer, basically, in a sense, like a summary statement of Paul's prayer, that we bring glory and praise to God by participating in the gospel. And we accomplish this by choosing God's choices by his power. And for me... When, when I think about that, it brings me right to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And I'm sure you've heard it. just want to look at it again and think about it in the lens of um, uh, agapao. How, and how we participate in the gospel by choosing God's choices by his power. All right, so starting in verse 16 of Matthew 28, is after Jesus has risen from the dead and he's been uh, showing up basically every Sunday or most Sundays, encouraging people, um, exhorting them, teaching them to see the Old Testament through his lens, showing them how so many passages uh, in all the Old Testament is pointing to him and what he would do and say. Uh, So verse 16, but the 11... 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him. And that's, that's a key thing to think about there. He is the King of Kings. 
And we need to spend time approving what is excellent. And he is the embodiment of the excellence that we should approve, approve of. Um, I think it was in the, uh, my interview with uh, Dr. Michael Bennett. He says the only person or thing that we should hold above scrutiny is Jesus. Because that which we do not scrutinize, we worship. It's a pretty interesting idea. Anything that we hold beyond scrutiny, that's what we worship. We start um, this journey with God, just start by worshiping him, approving him, standing in awe of him. And yet some of his disciples were doubtful. And I think that's kind of neat too, this honesty. I mean, this is a whole new thing for them. And maybe, you know, this relationship with Jesus that you're in is maybe a new thing too. And there's going to be some doubt there. And so that prayer, Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I mean, that's, that's okay. It's okay to be honest about that stuff. You can see Matthew being honest here in chapter 28. And then Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all of you who have doubts, get out of here. <laughs> no, right? He didn't say that. He knew that some of them were doubtful. And yet he is totally willing to work with them right where they are. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So like you've got the Jesus tree, make Jesus fruit. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So check that out. He is inviting them to participate in the gospel, in the furtherance of the gospel, by expanding the kingdom of God into all the nations. And we do that not by taking over one country at a time, but by one person at a time, submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ and really seeing Jesus, the Lord Jesus, as the embodiment of perfection and what we are called to act like, think like, talk like, um, behave like. Uh, yeah, and so we teach them how to be disciples of Jesus by teaching them how to observe everything that he commanded not just teaching them everything that he commanded, but teaching them to observe everything that he commanded. And how are we going to accomplish that choice of God? Well, that's really hard. But thanks be to God that he says he's going to be with us always. Emmanuel is not just a title for God at Christmas time, but it's right here in April 22nd at 8 10 p.m. He's with us now. It's true, the stories they tell you. They said there's no way they would go. 
It's me. 